Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warder of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond, and their biggest challenges during the first three phases of their journey in software. Today, I have Stephen Koenig. He's co-founder of and COO of Hull. Hull lets customers aggregate their complex marketing stack into a single coherent operational process so that teams can work together better and make more sales. In today's show, we're going to take a stroll down memory lane and find out how Stephen took Hull through to where they are today and how they navigated their zero to 30 journey to reach their software big break. How are you today, Stephen? Thanks. Great for having me, Jordy. Good. I'm excited. Excited. Yeah, excited to chat to you about Hall. Uh, first of all, why don't you, um, a quick background. I gave you a quick intro, but if you could tell me who you are, what, um, who your customer mainly is, and what problem you solve for them. Sure. Who I am, um, I would consider myself first and foremost a dad. Uh, proud uh-huh. of that. Uh, second, love the outdoors and the water, so I'm yeah. pretty sure we have something in common there. Sailor, right? Uh, correct, sailor. <laughs> Currently actually also working on a land cruiser to build it up for an overlanding rigs to take my son to the different national parks. So, um, and, uh, yeah, uh, backgrounds, um, have gone through studied computer science was, uh, first working as a developer, then went into more of a customer facing consulting role from there into product and then ended up more in a, in the business role. And basically, um, yeah, more operating around uh, everything revenue-related. Um, so that's my journey through various different companies. The last one I led, the U.S. operations, got bought by SAP. Did my corporate stand and then really felt like I wanted to do something new. And that's how I joined Half. maybe a good bridge to kick this whole thing off. <laughs> okay, great. So tell me, what, um, tell me first of all, what Hull does, because... Um, that's a bit of a vague um, explanation that I can. I'm sure you could give a better uh, explanation. What what exactly does Hall do? Yeah, what Hall does today, and what we're probably going to be start talking about. We were also one of the companies who, uh, throughout our journey, pivoted along the way. So uh, once we're going to go down memory lane, it's quite different to what we previously did. But today okay. we're a CDP, not to throw any acronyms. CDP stands for a customer data management platform. Okay. And um, why would companies invest in this? Um, a lot of times company in their majorities um, and as they scale, they invest into analytics. So they uh, put a lot of data into data warehouses to start measuring or predicting um, yeah. um, outcomes to feed to their, uh, I would say, executive teams to make uh, decisions to bring them down into the respective departments. Um, customer data management platform, I actually, the other side of the coin, they you operational layer to ensure that um, we uh, act um, 
as the the customer data that we collect from a first, second, and third party data, we yeah. crunch it, we normalize it, and then we send it to the respective tools in your overall stack, which is customer facing, to ensure that the right tool has the right data and the most up-to-date customer data record. So that can be either to fuel marketing campaigns um, or marketing initiatives or harmonize them or even suppress actions such as um, suppressing ads or promotions um, in case someone has an active support ticket to prevent a bad ex customer experience to happen. So if uh, you see basically um, CDPs as a conductor, so mm -hmm. if you've ever been to the Oprah, um, see it as you have about 100 to 150 strong um, musical instrument uh, group of individuals and you have your uh, trumpets, you have your violins, and you need the conductor to ensure while you're actually leading through whatever piece um, you're playing for the audience, uh -huh. that the various different groups uh, are playing together in harmony. And that's exactly what the investment of a CDP is. Besides of all of the enhancements and the support we're bringing around data um, uh, around compliance and security initiatives around GDPR and other aspects. But yeah. overall, the movement was built to ensure that the overall experience to the customer across your various different vertical stacks, you invest from a technology instrument, you have your marketing automation tool, your ad spend, your support to your, your company chat, that they all work better together in harmony. So whole, a mouthful, but I hope I could break it down for the audience uh, a little bit more. So, so I'm actually familiar with CD, uh, the concept and term of CDP. As I understand, there's not that many of them around, right? Because it's quite, uh, it's quite expensive and, and it's highly customized. Is that correct? It is. Um, we actually, so I think the space is growing rapidly. So we're enjoying more and more competition. I think oh, you are? Okay. Like the overall entire space, I mean, think about the overall space of, I would say, MarTech's uh, vendors is now reaching or surpassing 7,000 vendors overall. Um, I think uh, on, the, on the CDP side, it's also a little bit challenging because you have all of the traditional ad tech players pushing in and basically yeah. writing CDP on, 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 uh, and creating landing pages. And then you have more tra traditional analytics player adopting this. So they all have seen that uh, there's a significant opportunity in the market. And, but what you said, it's quite challenging. And um, because I think one, it's, it's um, you have to, if you want to do it the right way, you have to crunch. First, you have to build a solid data pipeline uh, where you can consume large sums of data from various different tools that could be your website, your mobile app, or your basically uh, your marketing automation tool, your CRM, your backend tools where you have data of uh, how people are utilizing your product or your service. And then you have to join that without actually having an, a, um, a computer, um, sorry, a, um, a data scientist um, basically writing SQL joins um, to do that manually. You have mm -hmm. to have algorithms who are actually uh, identifying through identity resolution that there's basically one Jody, which we are finding in various different systems, yeah. and we're not having multiple Jodys uh, that are actually represented right. there. And right. we have that, 
Correct. That makes sense, yeah. Okay, well, why don't you take me back to the founding then? You mentioned that you first came to Hull and you guys were doing something different. What, what were you doing and, and what was the problem and, and what, what caused the pivot? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, my two co-founders, um, Roman Dadur and Stefan Bellini. Uh, Roman, uh, strong product uh, background. Uh, Stefan, uh, strong tech background, our CTO. Um, we initially uh, got into Techstars as a gamification and identity management platform. So in essence, the goal was um, with uh, and this initial idea was founded by and, and came um, from Roma and Stefan, as Roma had background from an agency perspective. And he learned that uh, a lot of uh, large scale um, consumer facing companies spent heavily into third party agencies to build uh, unique, compelling, um, engaging campaigns. And uh, there was always this initial build where you had to put in um, in a very short period of time to crunch a lot of uh, web development uh, to ensure that you had your various different social channels plus your maybe landing pages gamified and you could collect that data and then utilize it not just over one campaign but over multiple campaigns. So in essence, it was to some extent that we already collected some identity data but in essence, it was more so around to inject into your properties that you control, like your website and everything else, uh, engaging experiences that could be sweepstakes, that could be um, simple games, that could be um, um, any type of reviews, uploading, you name it. And um, the goal was here to personalize it and to inject it very quickly for companies who maybe don't have access constantly to development resources mm -hmm. to do it over a modular builder um, that could inject that into the website. So that's how we made it into Techstars. I think compared to the other 10 companies which were with us in the cohort, we had the um, we had significant revenue already at the time when we got in. And now you can debate, obviously, once you're through it, once you eventually pivoted, there's a lot of lessons learned and you can always say, well, if I would get through that same decision step again, I wouldn't make the same mistake over mm -hmm. and over again. But at that point, we were very busy already with serving our daily customers and their ask, but we were also going through the overall Techstars experience. And um, we um, had, I would say, had a good demo day. Um, um, we pitched, um, we shook a lot lot of uh, venture capital hands so uh, that maybe also asks the question is like did we go the funding route or not um we decided we planned to we wanted to um mm -hmm. we ended up um getting in various ways very close i mean once you go through Techstars, it's like with why combinated the two i would say it's the harvard and the oxford of uh, of i would say um any of the accelerator programs so it's certainly a door opener but I don't know if it was our inability or if it was just only that the venture capital uh, community did not believe in identity and gamification as a whole, as something that they were eager to invest. So um, we ended up after, I think, six months of uh, being unsuccessful and planning to raise our seed round 
um, to say, okay, let's go back to the business, make sure that we keep growing our business. We already had revenue. Um, and with what we took as a note from what probably every tech stars company takes goes through the batch. We had a, a bit of funding and we said, okay, we're going to go and we're going to kick this back up again uh, within the, the common year, uh, the following year. So overall we, we were unsuccessful and basically leaked our wounds and went back to, to, to the business. Okay. So, so did you go back to Techstars then? No, no, we, we, it was also interesting because, um, my two co-founders I mentioned, um, they were in Paris, France. Yeah. Um, I was in America. So, um, took my family and we moved to Paris and so my wife obviously was completely sold on the idea. Yeah. Um, okay. And so uh, went and I think this was absolutely crucial. I think um, particular, I think there's a ton of challenges to do anything remote and probably with COVID right now, a lot of teams are facing that it will take some time and to adopt to it. And there's uh, humans who are better adopting to being remote than others not. Yeah. I felt it was very important for us to be particular as the whole organization was still so fragile as a construct to be uh, in person there. So we moved over to Paris and um, we continued working within Paris um, around uh, gamification and identity management. And I'm not sure if you're familiar, but our biggest competitor back then was Gigya, G-I-G-Y-A. Um, they got recently were recently about two years ago acquired by SAP. But um, we saw, I would say now it's easy to say, we saw with them that they were struggling by raising capital and they were already a Series F. So after we, we saw they got acquired, I think for uh, 300 and change in million, and mm -hmm. I think they raised over 200 plus million in capital. So I don't think it was a great outcome for um, for a lot of people in there, but they probably also saw uh, the writing on the wall and uh, and SAP picked them up really not for their gamification aspect, for their identity play because with SAP also, I know it, I worked there, um, basically rapidly growing the overall cloud offering and extending there and growing its significant blue merger and acquisition. You, you look for a way where you could bring identity to build an identity layer over the various different acquisition and the stacks you bought. So I think that was the play um, for them to buy it. But for us, it took us, I would say another uh, year and a half where we really saw, and it's hard for a founder and for everyone who's literally, um, I would say currently going through something like this, um, you're already going against the odds. So you obviously, there's always someone bigger, someone who has more, mm -hmm ability to capital or is basically better in raising capital and um, so you're betting against the odds so it's very hard then to say if you're going to test something that you can say it with certainty before you actually think about pivoting that you have maximized every aspect of testing out that you wouldn't pivot to earlier would basically as we said it's already an uphill battle you you bet yeah. against the odds you obviously you want to ensure that you have tested everything before you're going to leave that and it took us a while we we i think we excessively tested and eventually 
we kept obviously um, over and over through, I would say, our network to see and test the waters, um, to raise capital. Um, and uh, we, we just noticed that um, while um, I would say at that point also, there was a, a natural transition means um, 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 Facebook made it much better uh, to allow you to reach very targeted audiences um, where they lower the overall, um, I would say, spend on those internal, very elaborate agency plays. And, and so we, we were suffering, I would say, some of that growth. And so overall, we came to the table and we decided, okay, either we're going to significantly change something are we going to close shop? So it, okay. it was at that point. So it was, it was basically obvious. It was obvious that you had to pivot. And so it sounded like you already had this, the start of a platform though, and you had the experience. Um, so, so when you made the pivot, uh, you weren't, were you really pivoting? Like what was the main, what was the main thing that you had to do to pivot? Did you had to raise money and then go to do development or did you do development and have the start of a platform? before you, yeah. you went back to pitch to other VCs? Great, great question. I, I think um, um, we, just to the, um, how we came to the pivot. So uh, we obviously looked at various different aspects of what we have in our stack and uh, where we also believe with our background, where we had a, a strong story to tell, or I would say subject matter expertise, um, to to I would say to pull something off where we where we had a lot of confidence that it would work. Mm -hmm. So um, as we said, uh, Roman's background in agencies, Stefan's background in gamification, more like also dealing with large uh, big data and data sets. And my background has been for my entire life in business integration, and so um, I was always curious. Because, I mean, my background was we automated orders to cash, procured to pay. So we ordered, actually, we, we automized uh, business processes which would span beyond the four walls of your organization that I felt what we did for logistic processes, finance processes, product planning, or any type of orders to cash processes, um, that... I felt with the rapid adoption that's happening in the cloud and seeing how I would say business focused, revenue focusing teams adopting and buying, I would say be, um, by side cutting IT because they felt, I think the IT was always kind of like holding them back in order to reach their goals. Mm -hmm. They rapidly adopted new tools. Um, and what with that, they created again, like what we had in the late nineties, uh, significant integration challenges mm -hmm. and and I felt um, there would be maybe a play for us where we could leverage our identity resolution to at least some extent where we already learned how to collect data mm -hmm. around customer data but then also with that integration play um, where my background came from to test us so we we went and we had some relations to um, French the ecosystem, the, the startup ecosystem, and um, we pitched this idea to um, to a couple of early adopters. One of them is Kyom Kaban. I'm I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but um, he was back then. I mentioned 
Um, but anyway, time, sorry, just to interject, what time period is this? Is this like sort of 2014? No, or what? we're talking now, uh, I would say almost three years back. So okay. yeah, to give you an idea, maybe even almost four because it took us a year. So, so around that time frame, okay. we're seven years into this. Um, and, um, yeah, obviously we, we, uh, we were able, um, through our friends and family around to raise some additional capital through a convertible node um, that helped us to basically lay the groundwork to, we were three guys. Um, I was hustling and ensuring that we would get uh, some of our existing still legacy revenue um, that would fuel that. We had the node. Um, we had Roman from a product perspective with us all and with the customer locally taking what are the absolute minimal um, functionality capabilities that we needed within the platform like this to be able to ask for, I would say, um, some very early on revenue that we could book towards that idea. And Stefan to basically doing two things. One, juggling the existing business to keep the lights on second to deprecate more and more of our gamification aspect and third to already think about what actually off that construct of our previous investment we could leverage again within a new play and um we as we said we we i think a good good indicator here for probably um people who are going through this is um don't get happy ears don't don't try to build something in the lab in a perfect example obviously there's always things you can layer around the product before you want to take it out um we didn't have the the luxury to even be there we didn't have the luxury to have a i would say a close-in period of where we would do a stealth mode we we had to go out with a very ugly duckling okay. um with very very limited functionality but with yeah. an idea and to test if the pain <clears throat> that companies are facing is big enough to um to to go into that direction and uh it turned out that it actually worked out um and um and then obviously once we we had about a handful of customers who bought early into this um that we then felt okay now we we need we need to raise some capital to make sure that we get more helping hands um to help us with building as what you already earlier alluded to it's not uh, very trivial. Yeah. Um, it is uh, quite a daunting um, project and undertaking dealing with large set of data um, and normalizing it and unifying it from an operational perspective. Um, and so we then went to, again um, to think about uh, how we're going to raise capital. So that was basically then our next thought process. Okay, but as I understand, the, the customers, are, they're, they're obviously enterprise customers, mostly B2C. So it would be like a L'Oreal or something like that. Um, like not, for, not for us. And I think if I would do it all over again, I come from the enterprise background. I felt that once you're three in a construct, it's, that's also maybe something for the audience. Um, it's, it's hard when, you, when you're more than two because you can, I think, battle it out. Um, and eventually come out of a war room and say, for right or wrong, we're going to go with that decision. But if you uh, construct of three founders, it can also persuade that sometimes maybe you 
maybe had a, um, a right or wrong idea for the right or wrong reasons, but in the end of it, you might actually er early on get maybe um, outvoted or basically cannot agree on something. Yeah. So, okay. Um, we went actually <coughs> with early stage startups and, um, and our goal was really to ensure that we could productize this huge undertaking yeah. and to go actually bottom up, um, okay. which later on, I think we, we're, we got a bit of a bloody nose and, and also learned that um, today we're really looking at, I would say, mature mid-market companies um, as there's a significant need for them. I feel like at that point today, the enterprise is already very, very um, crowded. It's yeah. not that we're going to go that way, but it also means that you have to make the right uh, uh, product investments to support, I would say, the basic needs of what enterprise wants. And we decided early on when we went down the route of supporting startups that we more put more focus on um, productizing the product so that for self-adoption, simplicity, instead of actually, I would say, going the enterprise approach where you would build the core basic functionality of you have role supports on all of the aspects of what comes with what enterprise needs to have as a checkup and then do a lot of the customization throughout the project phase when they buy. Right. Um, and we, we, our customers can, once they sign on with all, um, they can get to the first successful output within depending on their data stack within uh, hours or days instead of weeks and months. And so, um, <clears throat> but yeah, we, we, our first handful of customers was companies that I mentioned, mentioned they maybe the were startups. How much would they, put, what was like, for an example, what would be, um, it's a monthly, what do they sign yeah. like a, a year long yeah. contract or how does it work? Yeah, yeah, we were very flexible in the billing aspect of it, but we were trying um, to be very uh, um, persistent on that. We would tie them at least to a, a full year of uh, contract commitment, just simply because, uh, and that's maybe also a good lesson learned um, for the audiences. Um, if your product, um, maybe a best example is very good company out of Atlanta. We have an office in Atlanta, Countly, right? Countly allows you to uh, make it easy for people to book meetings um, mm -hmm. and, and, and sync time. If you have a product like this, um, there you probably, it's much easier because in the end of it, someone understands the value proposition, can onboard themselves mostly uh, completely autonomous. Mm -hmm. um, they, they don't, um, they, 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 if you have there, you don't have an upfront investment as an organization mm -hmm. to get a customer, I would say, successful. From our perspective, there's certainly an upfront investment that we put in. Um, that's why I think if there's no, um, I would say, commitment on both ends, that one, um, I would say, the buyer and the seller agree that you're not going to rip out your overall data investment within the next uh, 12 months, then I think if you need that flexibility that within six months you want to get out of this, then you probably shouldn't take that investment in the first hand because your internal investment into your teams and the investment you commit to this is equally as big as what we commit, or maybe we commit a little bit less, but it is a, a significant investment 
and mm-hmm. it wouldn't make sense for your team to make this if you already want to have the flexibility to rip the entire thing out uh, within six months. And, uh, and I think that's what we early on learned, that we wanted to at least do year-long commitments but flexible payment terms. We started out with monthly. Today, we're offering only quarterly and annual, um, yeah. which, uh, we're, 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 which I think works well for us. And for example, though, what would be a monthly package? Are we talking like twenty five hundred a month, or <coughs> what is it? Actually, uh, we start with an entry level um, around twelve k um, okay. a year, um, so ACV, um, and um, it scales up. So um, I would say all of the non enterprise plans are anywhere between twelve and thirty five ish or forty depending on what additional needs you have around how long you want to hold events or some additional um, uh, features that you would like to add to it. And our enterprise plans start at 50 um, and, uh, and go up. But as uh, David Robb, who is actually in our particular space, the, um, the industry expert, um, independent to Gardner or the foresters of the world, but very early on was covering this space. Um, he uh, he said, uh, I think there's only one company hall. All of the other ones, they might promise that they can do it for 60K ACV, but they're, so to speak, pigeonholed because in, in the end, they need to sell at the, a couple of hundred thousands of ACV because they went the other route, meaning they need to book on top of, they're selling a bare bone platform and you need to have either internal resources, most of the time we've spared with their resources, in order to make this a successful project. So that's where you see now that some of our product investments are starting to pan out because mm-hmm. once we're starting to hit scale, um, companies can quicker adopt and see success with less of investments to customization and uh, individual consultancies to get the same outcome. So it's reaching a closer point of, of being product fully productized and Yes, that, exactly. And so we do believe it's at least our belief that some of those more established uh, enterprise players are alienating themselves a little bit due to the fact that um, as we continue to build out and to more, yeah, I mean, simplify the product further and further, um, that uh, we just have either two things. One, we have less of an um, internal um, investment into how much we need to invest in resources to get you to that success stage. Mm-hmm. And two, I, I do believe that um, we're also making it easier for the, the driver, the customer, and predominantly it's really their business marketing teams, sales ops, sales teams who want to have access to that unified data record that they can operate this without being able that you have to have a, a data science um, um, degree of some sort or yeah. a developer background. <clears throat> okay. So, so it sounds to me like when you made this pivot, you had a few customers that were willing to, to, to spend some, you know, some significant money, which was a really validation that you say, okay, someone is, is proving the model that, that they need this. They're willing, you know, they're, they're paying us some significant money to get this, um, we're not exact. It's not like you're an agency. You do have a, a you know, you did have a MVP of a product. Um, was that the point where you felt like comfortable to go out to the VCs then? And how was the reception when you first went out? 
Yeah, <clears throat> we we didn't go the immediate VC route because I think I think we still kind of like we had low confidence in our ability to directly go to venture capital. We also felt that um, you can burn a lot of time there, um, and so we went first the route of opened up a node, right? Um, yeah, and went after <clears throat> I would say some of our network of of wealthy are are basically individuals out of the tech industry we personally knew who had previous success mm -hmm. um who believed in the team and uh, the idea and uh, we were actually able to raise about almost i think at that point we were already at a half a million of what we raised in that node and all of a sudden we gained some interest from a uh, 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 a french venture capital firm uh, and i think that's when things got when things started to, um, I would say, excel as to a lot of people we read in books but never uh, felt it ourselves is when you get momentum, meaning all of a sudden you become hot and yeah. all of a sudden uh, you don't have one venture capital firm. All of a sudden there's more knocking on your door. And um, I think we were at, I, I, would, I would say it's a while ago, have one and a half, one and a half, 1.6 million in that note and we got really, I would say we got cold feeds as to kicking the can down the road, not knowing really how this is going to convert. So we're like, went back to our early on um, investors who invest in that note and basically told them that we would take care of it. But on the other hand, we need to convert that note. We need to do yeah. a price round back to back just to be able to, I would say, take some of that uncertainty off our shoulders. So, we um, then converted the node plus what we raised in capital. We raised about 2.2 million in our seed round, um, mm -hmm. which we were super excited about. And and then and that was basically the launch of our pivot and our commitment. And I think what now, I mean, you know, there's always, there's good ideas and then it depends on the team. It depends on the timing it means you either too early, you're too late, whatever zoom has proven us wrong, wrong that you don't ever have to be too late because think about it. You had WebEx, Citrix, other yeah, ones basically hammering right. this market for, I mean, years and years. And then Zoom yeah. came around and basically completely showed them, yeah. and gave them a run for their money. But in the end, I felt we were early to adopt the problem, we felt that the timing was right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I feel like that uh, we were able to convince um, venture capital firms um, that there is a significant opportunity there. And I think that really helped us um, and also gave us a lot of confidence that uh, this time around, I think we betting ourselves on the right initiatives where we wanted to hone in and then basically scale that. Okay. And so once you got that first raise, then you had some breathing room and, um, and then you could, then you could basically set really knuckle down and, and start getting into the architecture and the structure of the, of the product. Um, who's the CTO? Exactly. I, did, I couldn't really tell who's the CTO then. Uh, Stefan Bellidi. Um, okay. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, we um, he uh, let the entire basically pivot from a technical perspective to deprecate um, uh, the gamification aspect of the old platform, 
picking um, the new stack. Um, so he did a hell of a job on on really guiding through those. I, I would say very daunting times. It's oh, easy. Oh, sounds like it sounds like you you'd have to be really um, sharp to to navigate that. How, how, he was uh, was he doing all this himself, or did he have some developers to to start it? What's a stack? Uh, what's yeah, your technical stack? Yeah, yeah. I always say um, I'm very from obviously once you once you over years it's like you becoming a marriage couple, but you also um, your wives are getting very close. So I felt yeah. that uh, Eva, his wife, actually gave a lot of commitment because he was during those times, I would say really working around the clock. So yeah. I feel um, there's, there's a lot of commitment and a lot of passion um, that naturally comes with once you start seeing that you're onto something. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that I would say, yeah, un, un, uh, unlocks a lot of uh, additional uh, potential. But energy, yeah. Energy, but you need to also have that commitment from whoever you loved once, your partner, yeah. that uh, my wife always said you were mentally completely checked out uh, for multiple years. And so be aware that you get that commitment that you also have someone who understands this and communicate yeah. it openly. Uh, but yeah, <clears throat> we're today on AWS. We're nodes. Um, we're using Elasticsearch. Um, we are now more and more so as we're maturing also our data and our tech stack are adopting more to pan stuff more and more over to Java. Um, so, but yeah, uh, in, in the end of it, um, maybe what's interesting for the audience, um, we have a hub and spoke model. So it means we have a platform where uh, which is not open source, where we crunch the data, normalize the data, where ingesting pipeline sits, and where um, we're basically um, then building the overall um, identity record, and uh, and basically it's almost like a snowflake how we're laying around the events and the attributes that basically belong to an individual, and then we're because we're also serving B two B. We're building the notion that we're not only unifying it to a unified customer but or user, but also the association to the account. means mm -hmm. to our customers want to know how is the relationship, who is he in that particular company, what's his role. Um, but on the other aspect, um, we, we have our spoke model, which is our connector framework. And the connector framework, that's why we're a platform and we don't consider us SaaS is that um, the entire connector framework is open source. Um, you have the ability to completely, should we not serve today a connector or an integration that is of need to your organization, you can fork one of our connectors and basically use it as a template to build any type of integration that you need. So in the end, you're not really um, dependent on the direct that our product team chooses on what okay. we define as core connectors to haul. We are building some of those connectors ourselves and maintaining them. And Salesforce, HubSpot, you name them, the big ones, Marketo. And, yeah. But by the end, you're not limited that if there's something that you feel strongly about as an organization that you have to wait or you feel pitching, pitching out uh, um, with that, you need to wait until that integration becomes available. So. Um, overall, and um, you can completely operate it through APIs. So 
We have obviously a operational layer a dashboard sitting on top of this, but you could drive and operate hog completely without even utilizing that dashboard. So the way of how we how we implemented it and how we architected this to was ensured that you would be able to completely side pass our entire dashboard um, if you would wanted to 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 basically in interact and and integrate with our platform. Okay, so obviously on a package like that, on a customer that came in and was sort sounds like they'd be using their own dev resources to connect and 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 what would be like sort of the price compensation for bypassing the um, your dashboard? Um, I think there is not really a, a, an advantage or like we're not separating for the simple reason. You obviously, you have those who help um, in, in an organization or, or you hold responsibility of the overall data pipeline of uh -huh. that organization, call it the, the brain or, you know, how the neural system is basically working. But your business teams really still need that dashboard, still need access to oh, oh, being able okay. to, to, uh, to observe um, um, those, that, that data sets and building those, I would say, um, segments in order to service or, or to correlate and suppress of what they would like to do and um, what I had uh, alluded to earlier on. Okay. Tell me about the sales and marketing. How, how, is the, um, how is the growth being handled with that? Uh, like what's your best marketing channel? Um, yeah, our best marketing channel um, is we fully adopted through an account-based marketing model. So from our end, um, we had to get um, our, our mindset also a little bit away from, you know, talking about leads. So we, we look at the account. Um, we, we look at what our best fit accounts. And uh, we're driving, and I think a lot of a testament here to Angela who came in, Angela's son, and, and really um, has been leading um, this initiative, um, um, which I could have not done myself, but really transforming our organization from, um, I was always, a, I thought, I, I, I felt that account-based marketing was not just about um, about outbound, I do believe that account-based marketing has a strong content play, which is basically interconnected with an inbound play, meaning so we're still strongly committed to content, strongly committed to that we're able to, to first nurture and to educate our audience. That's why you see that we're pushing a lot of content, but we have clear plays on what accounts are our targets and yeah. we're driving initiatives towards those accounts by um, combine, combined of content, some extent of ads, but then also outbound email campaigns. And maybe here, something also, what we have learned is, and I think we're, again, to bring up Angela, she got a lot of kudos. There's, we're currently going through unprecedented times. I mean, COVID has certainly taken a significant impact to, a lot of uh, industries, and uh, and luckily enough, I think the software industry has, depending on obviously what vertical in, we we have really uh, so far been able to hunker down and, and still operate. Um, but I think people are not enterprise, but in the space we're in, call it the scaling SaaS uh, and mid-market companies. Mm -hmm. People are very, um, very, very... Um, 
I would say right now you can, as a brand, damage more with aggressive campaigns that are somehow disjointed um, to your brand's reputation than you can do any good. So us, including probably some of our close peers and others who are selling and marketing in those markets, we have to continue. We're a for-profit company. We're, we're, we, we, we obviously need to make sure that we drive growth. Um, but we have to find new ways of how we really showing empathy and showing ways of how we're actually engaging through those channels mm-hmm. to still basically find people who have those problems, who are willing and wanting to tackle this, or maybe don't have that problem, but learning through maybe have that problem, haven't identified it. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, and and we're basically giving them with the contemplation with of our outreach, um, the right tool sets to do the job, right? And so it has been very challenging, but I, I feel that that it's 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 a lot about finding the right tone, much more so today in our particular vertical um, than ever before. So account based, um, um, I'm not familiar with using that sort of reference. Is it is it's sort of like direct outreach? You're picking basically picking. Um, uh, like you, your vertical, your niche, and you say, okay, this is an ideal customer, and you're kind of going out and trying to, to establish a relationship with them, kind of a one-to-one sort of. One hundred percent. You basically set your target of I want those to keep it very simple, five accounts, and at yeah. the end of the year, you basically tally up how many of those accounts are now your customers, and okay. and how to get there is that you obviously understand who are your typical buying personas. You yeah. understand why this account before, maybe start with the account. The account, you know it fit or not. There's right. certain metadata aspects that go into it. You know who is the typical buying persona in that. And okay. so what you're doing is to obviously build relationships through either um, any of the traditional marketing channels or in you know through any type of virtual aspects of where or like events or something like that, like networking Correct. sorts of referrals. Um, so I, I imagine something like this lifetime value of a customer is quite high. So you can really do that and kind of really spend a lot of uh, focus on a particular customer because you know, they would be perfect for your, your platform. So you can um, get your sales team to really focus and on, on a few specific counts. Is that right? Yeah, I think maybe there to come really to to also talk some hard numbers. Um, ABF works if your product and your price point is, I would say, at least between 12,000 upwards ACV. Anything yeah. below that, it's going to be very hard because it uh, as an account-based marketing, there's a certain aspects where you also do some outbound. Uh, means like you're proactively through email tactics or actually traditional calling aspects yeah. of Okay. Either we call sales development reps um, to to love calls into it. To we see marketing as basically parachuting, giving that brand recognition. We are not an oracle; most companies aren't. But you yeah. know, so you warm and heating up the account, and then you have someone from your business development team calling in in that basically period of time to have that brand exposure first, so that they at least know who you're from. And then basically following up to identify if they have that problem, if there's a need, if there's a timeline, and then uh, and then basically with those aspects, that only works if you can, you know, I would say if the 
if internally you can make it work with your pricing strategy and 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 how you're basically going to market so for for those uh, who are basically selling anything below a thousand ACV or uh, sorry below ten thousand ACV I would strongly recommend to go a very traditional inbound play instead of even right. thinking about an ABM play Okay, excellent. Um, Stephen, we're getting close to the top of the hour of our allotted time, so I want to thank you very much for your time. Um, is there anything that you'd like to leave us off, uh, our listeners, with maybe a way to get a hold of you in case they're, they're uh, particularly interested in what you were speaking about or tech stars or anything like that? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, always always happy to help the community, but wanted to take a quick moment to really say that um, – those are unprecedented times. We, we are literally navigating through this. Um, I do believe we can all come out of this with a ton more empathy uh, globally. Let's just hope that, uh, that this is one of the very positive outcomes out of what's currently what we are facing as a whole. Um, that we're having really a chance here uh, uh, for humanity. Um, to just basically say something about what we're currently in and facing as as a, as a community. Second, if you like to learn uh, or have challenges or would like to engage and um, pick our brain, we have been through this uh, many times. We can help you around your data needs and how to operationalize your data set. So happy to engage there. Uh, my email. Um, is Stefan, S-T-E-F-A-N, at hall.io, uh, ping me. Um, or if you want to talk about, yeah, you're thinking sailing. about currently <laughs> sailing or, or building basically. Land Rovers. Yeah, building Land Rover. <laughs> All right, great. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Um, it's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, stay safe and, uh, yeah, look forward to connecting again. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner. <laughs>